Welcome to Women in Academia podcast with Irena, where I will interview female researchers to understand the challenges that women in academia are facing today. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm very happy today to have Dr. Celia Harris on the podcast. Dr. Harris is a research fellow at the Marx Institute, Western Sydney University. Hello, Celia. How are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you for being my guest. Can you introduce yourself and tell me more about your current position? Sure. So I'm Dr. Celia Harris. I'm the Vice Chancellor's Senior Research Fellow, and I'm based in the Marx Institute at Western Sydney University. So it's a research fellowship. It's a mostly research intensive position, which means that I get to drive my own research agenda, which is nice. Um, My background is that I'm a cognitive psychologist and I study human memory. So working in the Marx Institute is great because I get to work in a kind of interdisciplinary research setting where there's lots of different people applying science to real world problems. Thank you so much for introducing yourself. I want uh, to use this opportunity to congratulate you on the award Young Tall uh, Poppy. Can you tell me more about that? Sure. Um, Thank you very much. That's very kind. Uh, So the Tall Poppy Awards given out annually, um, they're designed to recognize science communication. So it's particularly recognizes people who work to communicate their, their science and their findings to the public. They nominate some in each state. So I'm one of the New South Wales ones. And then they announce overall winners um, at an award ceremony later in the year. So yeah, it's nice. I mean, it's a good chance to give me more opportunities to talk about my research with the general public. And I always like talking about memory because everybody's got one. And so people you know, can apply the kind of work that I do to their own lives. Well done. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you tell me more about your background and what brought you to the research? Yeah, so I guess um, I didn't have an exactly straight path to a research career. I didn't really know about research as a, as a career choice. And I kind of fell into it by accident just by following various opportunities that came along. I was always interested in science and my undergraduate degree was in science and, and I became more interested in psychology as I studied it, but it wasn't really what I set out to do. When I was an undergraduate and I finished my degree and I didn't really know what I was gonna do, but I'd become mostly interested in how the social context influences our behavior. And I just happened to pick up a bit of work here and there, um, just you know to fill in time. I was still working my job at the flower shop down the road and picking up bits of work around the university. And I started working for a cognitive psychologist who was at the University of New South Wales at the time, um, who needed a research assistant. And that was Professor Amanda Barnier, who is an expert in autobiographical memory. And, and I just started working for her as her research assistant. She needed somebody. And she initially told me when we were talking that I should be a sociologist because I was interested in you know, society and culture and that I wasn't really a psychologist at all. But you know, over the years, as we worked together, um, we became jointly interested in how the social and cognitive aspects of memory interact with each other. So it was after a few years of working for Amanda that I started my PhD with her and really she's become one of my closest collaborators and mentors. So it was just good luck of being in the right place at the right time, picking up a little bit of RA work and then my whole career has come from there. That's very nice. Thank you for sharing that. Can you tell me what are the biggest challenges you have faced and obstacles you have to overcome on your journey? And if you had to start over, what would you do differently? Yeah, it's hard to think about challenges because in many ways, I feel like I've had a very fortunate journey. I haven't done it as hard as many people have. I 
have a really strong crew of mentors and champions and a great deal of support in my personal life as well. So in many ways, I kind of have a village around me and, and I you know, rely heavily on, on that village. I've been lucky in my career that I've worked pretty much exclusively in research fellowships, research only roles. And that's been very rewarding professionally and it's given me a lot of opportunities. But it also means that I've always been on short-term contract positions um, that are running out. And so that is a double-edged sword because it means that I've, I'm always under immense pressure to maintain my track record at all times. I can't afford to have a bad year um, in terms of research outputs. I always need to make sure that I'm competitive for the next thing and I'm lining up my options for what comes next. And so that, that's challenging. I mean, there's, there's pressure always in, in those kinds of roles. Other kinds of challenges, I guess, I've had a navigating the two-body problem, you can call it. So, for instance, I, my first postdoc was in Denmark, and um, I moved to the Centre on Autobiographical Memory Research at Aarhus University. It was a great job. I loved it there. Um, I loved living in Denmark. But my partner came with me and he, it ended up he couldn't get work. Um, so we ended up terminating my postdoc early and, and coming back to Australia. So navigating some of those things and the conflicts between, you know, personal and professional life can be challenging. I've also got two young kids. And so that's, you know, been challenging. It's getting a little bit easier now as they're getting older and they mostly sleep. But those early years of combining work and um, parenting babies is, you know, incredibly tough. Can you tell me how do you manage your work-life balance? Uh, yeah, so balance is a strong word. I don't know that anyone <laughs> achieves balance as a kind of ideal, but I, I mentioned before I've got two young kids and so I have quite a lot of demands on, on my time. And I also live on a rural property outside of Sydney and, you know, run a little hobby farm with myself and my partner. And so, you know, we have a lot of commitments and, and I feel like I'm busy all the time. So I'm not sure that I have balance, but I guess what I have, especially with working at research intensive kinds of jobs is that I have flexibility. So the way that I manage is that I manage my work day around my other commitments. I'm flexible about when I'm working and I'm not necessarily working nine to five Monday to Friday. I'm often catching up on emails. I might do that last thing at night. I might write an article on a Sunday. These are not necessarily ideal, but I try to be mindful and deliberate in my choices about how I manage my time. So you know, the flexibility of academia is kind of key for how that I, I manage all the commitments that I have. And flexibility can be a double-edged sword because you have to be careful that you're not just working all the time. But yeah, I kind of make that work. And I guess other principles that I use are that I've learned over the years to make use of small pockets of time. So I always am breaking my tasks and my to-dos down into really concrete small next steps because I know I'm going to get interrupted and I know I'm going to struggle to find long blocks of uninterrupted time. So yeah, I try and make use of 15 minutes, half an hour that I can grab here and there between other things. And I also treat my home life and my professional life as kind of the same thing in some ways. So for instance, when I'm planning what I want to get done in a day, I, I treat those things with equal priority and I have personal goals and professional goals and I make sure that I'm getting time to to do both so I don't necessarily yeah I, I put, keep all aspects of my life in the same calendar you know and book them in and make sure they're getting equal attention the other main way that I manage my my work life is that actually that my partner works full, uh, only part-time and he is mostly responsible for childcare and running the house so I rely heavily on my partner and that has not been an, you know, a necessarily a straightforward thing to do. It's taken a lot of work unpacking our gender biases and our assumptions about who should do what. 
um, and those of other people. But we're gradually managing to set that up so that that works. And, you know, so that he's the default parent that the school rings if somebody needs picking up from school and things like that. That takes work, but, but we're getting there. That's so good. I love your idea about having small pockets of time and using them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the things that you kind of learn for me that I've learned after having kids and, you know, just where the reality is that, you know, it's really hard to get to get uninterrupted time. And I feel like I never appreciated when I was when I was younger and less busy, you know, those those long days of just, you know, writing and finding having opportunity to do that. So I think you just learn it by necessity. If that's all you've got, then you learn how to be ruthlessly efficient with your time and um, and use it. So I think the, there's research findings that show that, you know, women who work part time are actually the most productive employees because they do as much with their time as people who work full-time in an uninterrupted way. Women have just learned how to make the most out of, out of small bits of time and get things done. Thank you so much for that. Can you tell me more about your research? Sure. So uh, my research is about memory and I'm interested in the way that our memory interacts with and is supported by our environment. And that includes the social environment, so the people around us, as well as the tools and technologies that we might engage with. So a lot of my research has looked at memory in social interactions and looked at how remembering with other people is different from remembering alone. And for instance, I've done a number of couple of research studies with older couples, and I've found that their memory performance is transformed when they're allowed to work together compared to remembering separately. And so I'm interested in understanding the way that our internal neurocognitive processes interact with the world and can be impacted by the external environment and particularly then how we can shape the external environment to support and enhance memory. Great. Uh, can you tell me what are your hopes for your future research? So since I've moved to Marx uh, just this year, I've been working more on applying my research findings into practice. So particularly in the kind of aged care and dementia care setting where people might most benefit from uh, memory support. So for instance, I've got a project with an aged care organization where I'm working with them to uh, train staff in better techniques for conversational reminiscing um, because those staff have opportunities in sort of day-to-day -day interactions to, to have memory conversations, but they don't always know how to do it. So we're working to give them some really practical tools to sort of enhance the, the social interactions that they provide for residents in aged care. And in another project, I'm working with a large tech company that wants to design new assistive technologies for people with dementia. And so if we design tech that's informed by kind of principles of how memory works and how reminiscing works, then hopefully we can use design clever new devices that people can use to support their memory and to support joint reminiscing between people with dementia and their carers. So really, um, you know, my next steps are taking my research out of the lab and out into the world where it can do some good. That's so good. It has very important implications. Can you tell me what are the top issues you see women in academia face today? This is, a, this is a tough question, I think, um, and it's easy to be negative about academia, um, especially in, in the current climate. So academia is increasingly tough. There's fewer jobs than there are people who want them. And so it's an inherently kind of competitive, difficult environment um, where people can be prone to overwork and kind of, you know, wear it as a badge of honour. There's kind of self-sacrifice to academia. 
I think that disadvantages women in particular because women are more likely to have other kinds of responsibilities. So I think women can get busy with service work, with committee work, with advising and mentoring others, and they can sometimes take on these activities at the ex expense of their own research and their own career progression. So I think, you know, all these things are important and it's good to be collegial and it's good to be generous, but I think um, it's important for women to be mindful of where the right balance is between, you know, so that you're happy with what, how you're spending your time and you're getting enough time to work on your own stuff. Um, I think that's a real challenge. And, you know, the, the gender inequalities that remain in terms of how home life and childcare um, is managed in the average households impact on women without a doubt, you know, and so it's just harder for women to get uninterrupted time to work on their research and especially when they have young children. And so those demands on your time and the dip in productivity that happens when you have young children just has a compounding impact on uh, your career progression. And so, you know, the more that there are demands on your time and the more that you're busy and the more that you're juggling, the more important it is to try and be ruthless about what you're devoting your time to and to make sure you're spending your time on the things you want to and the things that are gonna help you advance your career. Thank you. I agree with you on that. Can you tell me what is the one piece of advice you would give to a young woman thinking about academia or to women just starting out in academia? Yeah, so I guess my approach to academia is that academia is just a job. And I think that helps because it's a great job with lots of things that are nice about it and lots of perks, but academia is not the be all and end all. And what that means is it's a job and not a vocation. So you don't have to sacrifice yourself on the altar of academia and you shouldn't have to, it's not worth it. So you need to find a way to make academia uh, fit in with the rest of your life and to have a happy and fulfilled life that includes academia if you, if you want to work in academia. So I found for me, you know, I never have my heart set on some particular role or some particular opportunity. I've had jobs outside of academia. I've had more unsuccessful applications than successful ones. And so I t try and treat it and take it as a, you know, with a pragmatic approach where I apply for everything, be open to everything and pursue the thing that comes through and don't you have your heart set on any one thing. So, you know, where you end up might not always match your ideal vision of how you wanted it to be. It might be a new slant on your research. For, so for instance, an industry partner comes along with a particular problem and that involves you jumping out of the kind of thing you normally do and doing something else, but that's where the opportunity is. So you take it. So I would say, take the opportunities and make them your own and, and don't be too fixed on, on one particular vision or one particular path. The other thing I think is really key is, and it's easier said than done, is to find mentoring from people you admire and people who can help you. And I find the most important role for mentors is that they can help you say no to things that don't fit your research agenda. So exactly that principle I was talking about before, about being ruthless and selective with your time. And that can be hard and it can be especially hard for women who are, you know, trained to be pleasers and to, you know, help everybody. And so some of that strength to say no to things and to decide what's important for my career advancement and what do I not need to do, some of that strength can come from good mentors. So yeah, finding mentors who can be that voice in the background that says, that's not gonna advance your career. Why are they asking you to do that? That's invaluable. That's such a great advice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Good luck with your research. Thank you. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening.